Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Protest Too Much, a Shakespeare showdown podcast. I am a little hoarse tonight. I am just getting home from an Austin FC match, and my my sweet baby angel favorite player scored his first goal tonight. So I just wanted to share that with all of you. If you are a fan of soccer, you can go back and listen to I, I match up Austin FC players with Shakespeare player with <laughs> Shakespeare characters with uh, Michaela from Bulls with the Bard and 10K Shakespeare. It's it's a good listen. It's a good fun. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in last week to listen to Ian Desher and me talk about Star Wars and Shakespeare. This week we've got another special episode for you. Emily C A Snyder is on, and we are talking about uh, cross couples, couples cross play couples. So uh, our our favorite ships in Shakespeare and it was just such a fun episode. Emily is delightful. They're so smart and cool and I'm so excited that I got to do this episode and I'm so excited for you to hear it. You can go to P2M Pod on Twitter, Instagram or TikTok to vote for who you think is the better crossplay ship and tell your friends. Say hey, there's this fun little Shakespeare podcast and you should listen to it. And that's how that's how we'll keep growing our, our Shakespeare podcast empire. So thank you for being here. Thank you for, for listening and, and enjoy. Welcome to Protest Too Much, a Shakespeare showdown podcast where a guest and I go head to head each week and you get to decide who wins. Okay, so we are... We're smushing people together today. <laughs> we are are tackling our OTPs, and mm-hmm. uh, we are finding the unlikeliest of relationship ships to sail us <laughs> through the night. I don't know. I've I've lost the plot. But with me, I'm so excited because I have writer, performer, academic. Emily Snyder. Emily, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, thank you, Stephanie. It is so exciting to be on your podcast. I love it to bits. <laughs> thank you so much. It's We have a good time. Uh, yeah, right? Yeah. We love being a little silly with things. And I think especially mm. uh, as you are in academia, you can understand mm. that sometimes you just need to get a little silly. <laughs> You really do. Otherwise, you go insane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's talk about you and what you're doing. Uh, we were chatting sure. just before this. So yeah. I'm really excited to hear more about your PhD and kind of yeah. the angle you're taking that from. So go on it. Okay. So um, uh, my name is Emily C.A. Snyder. The C.A. There's loads of Emily Snyders who've done tons of things. So the C.A. like is SEO <laughs> approved for Amazing. Google. Anyway, um, so I've been a Shakespearean my whole life. I've performed in the majority of his plays. I've directed the major works of his canon. And then um, from 2012 to 2022, I was the founder and executive director of Turn to Flesh Productions in New York City, which helps develop new plays in heightened language, particularly verse. Um, So we did a lot of like Shakespeare adjacent plays. you know, sequels and mashups and answers and whatnot, as well as a lot of original new verse works. And that's the focus of my thesis here. So I'm in Stratford-upon-Avon at the Shakespeare Ooh. Institute. Uh, we were just chatting about seeing Shakespeare's birthday parade <laughs> and how very, very British it was. Um, but uh, the, the curious thing in academia that I hadn't realized is that 
in England, Shakespeare studies is a historical endeavor. You were just talking about being at the British Library mm -hmm. and handling original texts. Mm -hmm. um, Not Shakespeare, we, but... <laughs> oh, no, you know, only things that, you know, Henry Only Ben Johnson, in. you know. <laughs> <laughs> you all can't My see me. I'm, I'm doing some hair flips. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in America, Shakespeare, when you say Shakespeare, we think of a genre, we think of performance. So I come from a performance background and they kind of have let me into the Shakespeare Institute, like under the wire. I'm actually working, um, I'm halfway between the Shakespeare Institute and the poetry department uh, at the University of Birmingham, which is the parent um, university for the Institute. And what I am doing, it's the, the thesis currently in the, the year of our Lord, 2023, <laughs> is called- Subject and then, to change. <laughs> subject to change. is called, and then one must think of the actors, colon, <laughs> <laughs> a practical guide for page poets to become stage poets. So basically, yeah. Oh, trying that's so cool. to codify um, particularly verse- and meter and how those can be used, how they're separate things mm -hmm. and how they can be used to talk to actors, to give information to them about character, about shifts in the plot, things like that. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of ragging on T.S. Eliot. Um, <laughs> uh, excuse you. He provided I... the foundation for the greatest musical of the 20th century and beyond. <laughs> so I, he the was Tom thinking Hoopers. about actors. <laughs> okay, my favorite thing about T.S. Eliot is in his 1951 um, reflection on his major works and how he wrote them. He says, and then I learned from time to time, something should happen in a play. And I'm just like, it took you that long to figure out there should be plot and you still couldn't do it. So the thing is, his biggest smash sensation, it's still from time to time, nothing much happens. I feel like that makes me love cats even more. Like right? I, I am an unironic lover of Cats the Musical oh, and amazing. Cats the Musical the movie. <laughs> That movie, I, I have, it was the last thing I saw before lockdown, which mm -hmm. I mean, what a choice. Mm -hmm. um, I am so sad though, because I have yet to have the experience, but I'm positive the, the cinematic masterpiece that is Tom Hooper's Cats is something that must be enjoyed with a group of people in a Rocky Horror type situation. Yes. Yeah. I went, <laughs> uh, it was me and my husband and a couple of our friends and the theater was empty so like my friend Lauren or, oh. and I were just dancing. We were just like yes, dancing through the whole thing. It was the most enjoyable theater okay. experience. But Shimbleshanks in that with the new funky breakdown in the mm -hmm. middle. Okay, like that's yes. that is worth the price yes, of the ticket. Please. Oh, I should mention I run a podcast, Hamlet to Hamilton, exploring verse drama, uh, wherein we talk about. Uh, everything that's going into my thesis, mm -hmm. <laughs> how to write verse drama, and then the history of Anglophone verse drama. Yeah. Um, but today I get to go back to my first love, Billy Shakes. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cool, Emily. Like, I I find that so fascinating. And mm -hmm. it's something that I always kind of have to take pause for a second when I talk about Shakespeare as a poet. Mm -hmm. Because, mm -hmm. yes, I recognize that obviously he was, but there's so much more than that like there's so much 
more to make mm-hmm. it a play and like just the way that you kind of analyze and interpret that it's mm-hmm. it's genius and it's brilliant and i'm so excited for well i mean the the thing is right is that he writes characters some of them break into poetry mm-hmm. and um i i think i mean that this would be an article not not my thesis but i think there's an argument to be made that you see more poetry in his early works um just sort of scattered around and not necessarily uh placed in a way like oh, sometimes cool. placed in a way that stops the plot Um, and you see that, or at least I see that with a lot of poets who are trying to be playwrights is like, they can never get over that hurdle of writing. They always, uh, prioritize the poetry rather than prioritizing the character. And is, is this the moment when we're like running away for our lives that we should stop and like, be like, (laughs) you know, I don't know, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? It's like, "Mm, no, maybe now is not the time. Um, (laughs) So I think the thing is too with Shakespeare is like he would add in scenes that are there just for a costume change, for a quick change. Yeah. Like he knew, he also, I mean, he's also working with Burbage. And I think the more that you look um, at the roles that Burbage played, and especially like if you read all the soliloquies sort of like in one go, I, f- I personally feel like you start to hear what Burbage's voice was as well, because when you're writing for an actor, they're what they can i mean i say this from experience what they can do absolutely starts informing the rhythms that you're choosing and things like that yeah so okay Uh, (laughs) i could spend an hour on this maybe uh we'll have to have you you over on our podcast i would love to come back but yeah we'll have to we'll just have to keep Bumping into each other's podcasts. <laughs> yes, I love it. I'm I'm in for that. Um, speaking of bumping into each other, hey, uh, hey. nice segue. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we are talking about unlikely, unlikely couples, unlikely mm-hmm, ships, and mm-hmm. this. And I am so excited. I've been like so anxiously waiting to hear who <gasps> I'm gonna have to smush together. So why don't you tell me who you think uh, is the unlikeliest couple? Um, oh, see, I don't know if they're the unlikeliest. They're the ones that I ship the most. Let's put it that okay. way. Okay, How about perfect. Because, like, if if you're sh- part of shipping, right, is that you want them to be together. You're like, they would be good for each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's important. <laughs> so I am putting before the court of unlikely but highly necessary to the entire canon of Shakespeare, as I will explain in a moment. Um, the healing and like positive ship of Ophelia and Orlando. <gasps> yes, but post the events of both their plays. Like that's the crucial thing. Oh, is they need to have gone through their exes. <laughs> okay, I. Yes. Mm, okay, who do I think is? Yeah, who, who do I? Who am I shipping? Do you want to fight for Aeschylus and Enobarbus? Yes. I do. <laughs> I have never wanted something so badly in my life. Oh, wow. And I didn't even know it until now. Like, we're talking Romeo and Juliet, Prince Aeschylus, and Antony and Cleopatra, and a Barbus, right? Oh, I meant Aeschylus. Maybe I've got it wrong. Oh, shoot. Did I do the wrong guy? I was thinking, who's the right hand man from Measure for Measure? Oh, no, there is. Yeah. An Aeschylus. It could be both, though. <laughs> it could be Edith both. Bar- Edith Barbus can have a throuple. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. Inno Barbus deserves a throuple. Inno Barbus <laughs> deserves the world. Yes. Uh, I to be grant like to be fair, I played Inno Barbus and Aeschylus, and I think they would do Aeschylus for measure for measure. Okay. Um, but but I'm intrigued by Aeschylus the Prince from yeah. R and J. Okay. I think I'm gonna go with him. Okay. Because I uh, I know him better. <laughs> Intimately, you might say. Oh, have you played? No. Have you played the Prince part? No. No. Uh. <laughs> Emily, I don't know why I say half the things I say. Why don't you take it away right. with? Um, I love that we've got these like alliter- alliterative names happening. I know, right? O two and E two. All right. Uh. Go go ahead and give okay. me an argument for Ophelia and Orlando. Ophelia and Orlando, and again. Uh, in in this world, since it's, and I realize I'm pulling in my I get to play with Shakespeare and rewrite him if I want like mentality, uh-huh. which has been like my whole life. Um, uh, he did that to other things, so I get to do it to him. Um, it's <laughs> one long it's one long game through the whole of Anglophone literature, and I'm here for mm-hmm. it. Um, okay, so I think that Ophelia fakes her own death and escapes her bad situation. Right. With the help of Gertrude, who covers for her with that ridiculous speech. Um, right. And yep. then I think actually that Rosalind, I've played Rosalind um, and I've played Ophelia, actually. And uh, I think Rosalind, like fairly soon into her marriage, would realize that they need to do a bit more growing. And so I think it would be a kind of amicable divorce. Okay. Your separation between Orlando and Rosalind. I don't think it's like cruel or anything, but I, I just, I think Rosalind in when when they're protesting so much about what sort of spouse they would be, like I think then they find out they are that sort of spouse, and like Orlando deserves better, basically, yeah. or Orlando deserves different. So some things that O two are going to bond over, they're both going to bond over being quiet introverts who had. <laughs> extremely extroverted exes they're going to bond over no longer being talked over uh and (laughs) being like the 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 second fiddle right Uh um ophelia adores bad poetry because clearly she kept the memento of move and love as rhymed by hamlet Mm. and uh she probably thought that was good as she says i sucked the honey music um and Orlando loves writing bad poetry and Ophelia would love it. And, and Ophelia rhymes with things like Celia. So Orlando could write, although I met you after Rosalind and Celia, I love you the more my own sweet Ophelia. Stop right? It. <laughs> Stop it y'all. They're, they're both of comparable social status. Um, they both have uh, dated like higher class people than themselves. And I think they'd be very comfortable in their early modern version of like minor barantry, upper middle class life. Um, Orlando's a man of action. He kisses before he speaks and he can live no more by thoughts, which I think would be a really nice change from overthinking Hamlet. Um, I think he would appreciate Ophelia's like unambiguous sort of being, she just sort of is who she is. She's not necessarily going through identity crises. Mm. I think this lack of ambiguity could be really good for both of them. And um, they both could sympathize over having really problematic 
families. Um, but then Ophelia could heal because Oliver has become nice. And I personally think that Jake's is probably that cool younger brother. And then bonus, I think they could adopt Snug the Joiner. <laughs> and all three of them could live in happy little cottage core. And their next door neighbors could be the wonderful, flamboyantly and openly gay Antonio and Sebastian from Twelfth Night. All of them, all of the Antonios yep. and Sebastians. <laughs> yep. And when Desdemona and Amelia escape their fate, O2 can give them shelter. And when from Helena from Allswell is wandering through the forest trying to find Bertram, they could take her aside and say, child, this is a bad idea. Let's sit down and have a talk. And then they could get her, I don't know, with Jake's or something like that. Right? Okay. Falstaff is not allowed in the little cottage core house. <laughs> and their favorite poet would be Cinna the Poet. <laughs> the end. Ophelia and Orlando, a cottage core story. <laughs> An unlikely but <laughs> enviable ship. Okay, but have you considered Aeschylus and Anabarbus? No, I have not. <laughs> Tell me. Okay, uh, so I am gonna I'm gonna take Prince Aeschylus because I think mm -hmm. like uh, same as you, I'm gonna take it post Romeo and Juliet, mm, and nice. I I think that there is a lot of kind of acceptance and after Romeo and Juliet have died like a resignation mm. almost that like mm. everyone in Verona kind of has this like collective breath that's let out and things yeah. just kind of like go on but I feel like everyone mm. is just they've accepted that uh they've made this happen every single person is guilty of the death of these two kids yeah. and there's kind of a uh like a, a sadness a looming sadness that exists in verona even with the peace that has yeah. come about so they've they've kind of like all taken it internally they've learned some lessons and we love nothing more than uh a man who has learned a lesson <laughs> uh <laughs> if jane austen has taught us anything yes <laughs> right um I'm playing Paulina <laughs> in Winter's Tale right now. And man, just looking at like looking at Leontes face mm. and just like at the end, it's like, yes, 16 years later, I am still reminding you that you've killed your wife. You've killed your son. Yes. You've killed your daughter. Like that, uh, that acceptance from him that like this has mm. happened and like the internalization of that. Uh, mm. There's just something so powerful about mm -hmm. it. Um, and I kind of feel that that is, that is the Verona that we're in right now in my yeah. imaginary world. Yeah. So yeah. then we've got Anabarbus and I'm kind of taking this, obviously we're crossing times and, and places and whatever. Oh, yeah, you know, I mean, like this is all like Shakespeare Disney world. Yes. You know, so <laughs> everyone exists all the time. Exactly. Um, so Anabarbus has this moment, kind of taking him him right before his death. Mm. He has this this place of resignation and sadness. And he has betrayed the one person that he had committed his entire life to. And like he's yeah. really feeling that deeply. But also, what more could he have done? Mm. And like he tried so hard to kind of snap Antony out of it. He tried so hard to keep that ship together, like to keep <laughs> that boat running. Um, mm -hmm. 
he did everything he could. He spoke out when he maybe wasn't supposed to. He mm. he had the courage to stand up for, you know, the person and the empire that he believed in. And it was mm. all all for nothing. And I think that if he wanders into this sad Verona with mm. a prince mm. who is also feeling like I mean, yeah, I the find that them. They failed down their society. They failed their societies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Roman Empire is is you know where it is. Uh, Antony's gone. Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm. are gone. Prince didn't do enough to. Can, can I throw something in there to like help? Please. This is terrible, but I'm like, yay. Okay, and someone take these and write these plays, please. Um, <laughs> yes. But both Enobarbus and Aeschylus have seen destructive love. So what sort of story do they have when they have to navigate falling in love with each other and learning that love can be non-dramatic and non-destructive? Exactly. It can be healthy. Yes, exactly. Mm. Like they're meeting each other where they're in the same place, but both of them, neither of them ever really stopped trying. I mean, we Mm. do see like Aeschylus kind of disappear through a decent chunk of the play, but like he he tries. As far as we know. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, he's trying behind the scenes uh but yeah so like they're will we know they're willing to fight for something that they believe in and if Mm. that something is each other then that could be a really beautiful love story wow Ooh, i like i really dig that yeah there's like it's like a melancholy love it's a melancholy love it's an adult love too they're both adult characters which is really nice yeah yeah Yeah. and they can they have like a sense mm-hmm. of of level-headedness mm-hmm. and understanding and i really like kind of what you said they've seen how destructive love and all-consuming love can be well and they've been outside of those destructive all-consuming love so i mean how interesting would some of those soliloquies be where they start to understand what the people you know r and j and what a and c um sort of what they were going through and to confront that this is a possibility within them as well as thinking for you know barbas i don't know i always feel anabarbus is in love with antony i don't know if that's something yes Uh, okay great yeah great i mean uh, the the final anabarbus's final speech is like Mm -hmm. one of the saddest love letters like Mm -hmm. oh yes i I, I, i'm on board with that yeah i know playing anabarbus i mean uh, all even if you didn't have a scene with Antony, somehow every scene was about Antony. Like it didn't, <laughs> he was just constantly present and yeah, yeah um, sort of the only person in the world. So would that scare Enobarbus? Would Enobarbus feel that he's betraying the memory yeah. of Antony? Ooh, you could pull a thing, like sort of Ghost of Caesar type thing and let Antony show up in the play and like, in the hello dolly moment like give Enobarbus leave to love again blessing yeah yeah (laughs) i love that that's yeah (laughs) a blessing on your house (laughs) nope i think that's so good um Mm. yeah i really like both of these because i feel like right it's really interesting looking at ophelia and orlando because Mm. i I feel like I I struggle with Orlando a lot because he's so like he just he's so young. Yeah. And I think that when you when you play him or see him youthful, it makes Mm -hmm. a lot of his actions a lot more like 
palatable <laughs> to me. Maybe. I mean, I guess I've always seen the best Orlandos I've seen understand that while they're not speaking, they are hyper present for their Rosalind. Um, and what I like about Orlando, good or like when Orlando plays well, and this is where I see Orlando is maybe a young man, but not, you know, not teenager, is um, he gives space. He gives space for his partner. Um, yeah, he doesn't have to take up the whole of the aural space. You know, he'll suggest a course of action. You know, I would kiss before I, I speak. Um, but he's open to the other person's needs. I think he's an incredibly generous partner, um, to be honest. But in Shakespeare, and I should say really in, um, in, poetic, in poetic drama, I'll say, whether it's formatted in verse or in paragraph, um, the language is so much the thing that whoever has the most language is perceived as the most powerful. Right. That's actually yeah. one of the curious things about Hamlet as a character is um, I've done three Hamlet adjacent plays. Okay. Um, one is, of course, Rosa Kratz and Gilda Stern are dead. Um, one is my own Rosa Krantz and Gilda Stern aren't dead, uh, in which Hamlet has. Oh, yeah. It's it's actually available in podcast form with uh, from Quirky Voices Presents. It is encouraging, uplifting, feminist for middle-aged women who uh, the question is, why don't you ever step out from behind the curtain and take the stage yourself? Uh, great. Yeah. I know what yeah, I'm yeah. doing after this. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's also up on New Play Exchange, so you can read it. Um, in, in, in mine, in Rosa Krantz, where they're not dead, um, Hamlet specifically only gave him one line from the whole play at the top of the show just to start us at the end of the show with everyone dead, right? Mm -hmm. So he has, I think, just exchange forgiveness with me, Laertes. Um, and then he's off for this reason. So I'm going to go backwards. Um, and then Rosacrat, uh, <laughs> what is it? Rosa and are dead by Tom Stoppard. He very wisely tries to sideline Hamlet as much as possible, but put a pin in that. And then I did a play, um, directed a play called uh, May Violet Spring, which is a new story for a new Ophelia. So it's meant to be Hamlet from Ophelia's point of view. It's got new verse. Um, it's by James Parenti. And um, what I found, because it was put on twice, we did the second production, not the world premiere. And um, so, so I got to see two different productions of it, as it were. And Hamlet as a character is such a black hole of focus mm. um, that even if you try to give lines to other people, the focus goes to him. And I think this is true even in the Tom Stopper play. He's like, when Hamlet comes on, all the focus just collapses into mm -hmm. him. Um, and I, I found that with a few other Hamlet, you know, uh, like short plays or like um, Wittenberg, there's something about that character that's just so dynamic that you can't escape it. So Ophelia is never going to have a chance. It, it, Hamlet leaves space for nobody. Nobody. Um, and Ophelia therefore has no opportunity to figure out who she is. You know, and so I that's where I feel that Orlando and Ophelia, um, Ophelia would be able to figure out who she is. Orlando, I think, doesn't have a crisis of that but just might not be as well partnered with Rosalind as he would think because he would be constantly giving. Whereas I feel that Ophelia 
it is probably also an extremely generous partner. Yeah. You know, if she's not with someone who just takes all the space in the room. No, I think that's fascinating because yeah, Rosalind also takes oh, up space and it's something all that the space. we can celebrate her so much mm -hmm. for being a, a woman taking up space. Oh, like yeah. it's so celebrated whereas Hamlet is so men that <laughs> well, I mean like don't, don't get me wrong I'm desperate to play Hamlet I played Rosalind would play mm -hmm. her again in a heartbeat um, 100%. but yeah they take up space well yeah. if you think about it Antony takes up space R&J take up space when they I directed R&J definitely takes up space <laughs> yeah when I when I directed R&J there was one week one week or like a, a few days of rehearsal where I didn't have access to either my Romeo or my Juliet. And I realized the and, like the scenes that are just and are so few that like it barely makes up a rehearsal and a half. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. just, yeah. Um, but, yeah. But it's all by language. And Orlando is not, as much as he's a poet, he's not actually a uh, an out loud person. Yeah, he's very he's very <laughs> introspective. Be writing closet dramas, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but also have you considered that Edna Barbus would be rich and get all of the mm. things that he wanted, and they would be living in a palace, and they would be the the sunshine that breaks Verona through the cloudy sadness. There you are. You no, I mean I am that? I am all here for the Inabarbus Aeschylus romance. I think that'll be beautiful and adult. And I want yeah. I want it to happen in that 16 years um when Hermione is a statue. So that Paulina can come in and like maybe get advice from the mm. two of them about how to deal with Leontes. Right? Oh gosh. Uh, yes. I Yeah. I really love, I sincerely love both of these. And I think our <laughs> our listeners are going to have a difficult time in choosing. Yeah. So what is it, y'all? Is it Ophelia and Orlando? Is it Anabarbus and Aeschylus? You can vote at P2M Pod on TikTok, mm -hmm. Instagram, or Twitter. Yay. Emily, this has been a joy. This There's no so other word for fun. it. Fun. Thank you so much. <laughs> Let everyone know again where they can all find you. Yes, absolutely. Um, you can find me at Emily C. A. Snyder, S. N. Y. D. E. R. dot info. Um, I'm Emily C. A. Snyder on all the socials. Twitter seems to be alive still. So you can find Hamlet still to Hamilton ticking. on your favorite podcatcher. Um, we are also Hamlet to Hamilton with a number two in between on Twitter because if you spell it out with T-O, it is one too many um, characters for a name. Ah. <laughs> so, and HamletToHamilton.com as well. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, everyone, oh, thank for listening. You. And we'll see you all next week. Woo!